the Gold Radio Business Show is it's given us and given the business a voice to say what the Scottish economy could be. I hope that driving enterprise and business is at the heart of whoever is running any government. We believe in people striving, working hard, taking on people, creating the jobs. And we have to make it that we are so attractive for people to come here and to open businesses. But at the moment, it looks like when you listen to startups and scale-ups, it's the opposite. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, Willie. Good morning, Tom. How are you this fine morning? Well, sharp, sharp. It's been a bit, it's been a bit cold, as they say. All week. Eh, all week. Um, so the Sc- Scottish National Investment Bank, friend of the show, Willie Watt, yep. chairman, they've been busy. Yes. They've been putting quite a lot of money out the door. Yes. Even though their budget was cut in the Scottish budget before Christmas. Not good news. Not good news, but they've been busy. So a couple of shout-outs this morning. One's to... Trojan Energy up in Aberdeen. Ian McKenzie, the founder and CEO there. Now, he was on the scale-up programme. I'm not saying he got the money because of that, Willie. <laughs> but they do on-street charging for electric vehicles. Yes. But it's tucked away in the pavement, so it's no clutter. Yeah. So, Scottish National Investment Bank, a follow-on of £18 million, £8 million as well from the British Growth Fund. So, yeah. good news for a Scottish business, Willie. And the other company they've put money into, and this is twenty million from Snib, yeah. is Aurora. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, a net zero advisor and engineering services company. Douglas Dugood, the CEO, and you'll be interested in this. They they run something that's recognised as an excellent apprenticeship program yes. in there. So twenty million going in there, Willie. So. A good start to the year for them. Well, the Aurora thing seems to be, you know, try to be ahead of the game. So these guys, obviously very clever guys, built a business before, sold it to a big American company. But what they, what they recognise is, is that if we're going to do all the things they say we're going to try and do in relation to renewables, we're going to need skills. Yeah, right? So we're going to need the people. So they're trying to attract people from the oil and gas industry where I think they've their background is there and, and obviously that transition and being able to work in the new industry. So Joined up thinking, Willie. Yeah. And, Who would have thunk it? And, and it's a loan. It's a loan, so that's good. So if they're successful, it'll be repaid back and that money can be regenerated. And... Scottish Enterprise, we're going to talk a wee bit about that today. They've put a million pounds into a company in Midlothian called Flowcopter, who make these big drones, Willie. So they're very efficient and they can carry up to 100 kilograms of goods for the energy service, for rescue service, for medical. And Peter McCurry, the CEO. So there's been money getting into Scottish businesses. But can I ask you, because you're a former chairman of Scottish Enterprise Glasgow. Again, in the Scottish budget, which happened just before Christmas, Scottish Enterprise got its budget cut. Adrian Gillespie, a friend of the show, a good guy, he's come out with a targeted strategy, but with less money, Willie. What do you think about it? Well, everything we had to say last week for our opening New Year show was all about, it would be interesting if the Scottish government demonstrate that they are want to get closer to business and they want to help business, right? So you've just given two examples where 
That is the opposite. Complete the last opposite. thing that me and you would do driving Enterprise would be to cut the money to SNIB and certainly to cut the money to Scottish Enterprise. We'd have been maybe adding more money to both of these institutions. Yeah. So, And also, what compounds that is, if you read what the, the journalists are saying this week, that for a party under the new leader of the SNP and the Scottish Government, whom the Yusuf, to say that they wanted to get close to business, I think that as the dust had settled on their budget, mini budget, whatever you call it, before the new year, is basically getting slaughtered. So yeah. it's at the point you were making last week, it's saying one thing and then doing the opposite. Complete and opposite. it's not going down well with business. So every business I've spoke to in the new year, you know, I've got time to reflect and they're just saying, yep, it's a little bit better than it was under Nicola um, because at least the government's listening, but they listen and do the opposite. Yes. You know, where is where is the big programmes? Now, Adrian Gillespie has, has, you know, sometimes when your budget's cut, you've got to focus, Willie, in business. Some, sometimes it's a good thing. Yeah. And he's focused on productivity, this transition to renewables and helping entrepreneurs. So maybe we get him back on mm -hmm. and to to see what he's doing, not what he's saying, mm -hmm. but what he's doing to help the Scottish economy. Why don't we go further on that? Why don't we send an invite out to the First Minister? Okay. And say, listen, look, we would love you to be backing up what you're saying. And I can tell him, that this is not a political statement. No, I, I, I was that. at a business gathering last week in Edinburgh. Right. And there was business people there and I'd imagine they vote for all parties. Right. There was not one good thing said about any of the last five or six policies that have been introduced. Now, this was me in Edinburgh in the Lion's Den. The Lions Most Den. of the people in the audience I did not know, but you want to heard some of the business people there about the new policies that the government has introduced and they were up in arms, up, up in arms. So from, from the visitor tax to the rent freeze to the, you know, the, the small letting, the, you know, the Airbnb, the, the usual, a sledgehammer to crack a nut. And the latest one, Tom, again this week, and we have been vociferous about policies we didn't think that are right. And fortunately, we've won out on a few. We've and got not people well thought this. through, well. Yeah. I read this week that the, the government are looking to follow through and bring it in policy by April that you got to fit heat pumps. Oh, right. No. I, so, right, I'm back that, to my heat pump you, thing again. You're the heat pump guru. Right. I mean, it's, it's, oh, goodness me. Is that what they're saying? Mm, it's going to go yes, into legislation? Yes. So, Tom, I'm so worried about this and so concerned, right? So, I'm going to send out an invitation today or a challenge. Right. Okay. Challenge, Wally. So in the past, when I've had things to say about heat pumps, there's been people who sell heat pumps and who obviously game for it, but of which I am one. Yes. But I would never sell them as, as a heating source. So here's my challenge right. to anybody today, government minister, or anyone who has a company who is selling heat pumps, I'm challenging anybody that I will pay for any test that you want done in Strathclyde University for you to prove that I'm wrong, okay? <laughs> so anybody wants to tell me wow. that if you install a heat pump, like I read a sign saying that, you know, use 500 watts and get 3.5 kilowatt out from this heat pump. 
If the people saying that would like to try and back that up, and I can, we'll let them come on the show and tell them how wrong I was after the test. And you're going to pay for the I test? I will pay for wow. the test. Strathclyde University's engineering department will get professors, Sir Jim McDonald, you right? the judge? Yes. Well, here's what I would say to them, how we can save a lot of time here, right? Get any of these companies or any of these ministers who are saying that this is the answer. I used to just come and bring me a brochure from the manufacturer that says what they are saying. I don't think you can do better than that, Willie. Okay, so there's so the there challenge. Challenge, Willie, is out there. I'm going to be fascinated. And let me tell you, if someone brings me a heat pump that only uses 500 watts and gives you 3.5 kilowatt, right? I will be You're on in. this show every week telling everybody to get a heat pump and I'll be installing them in every house that we're building. <laughs> there we go. Okay. I mean, I did see another uh, piece of legislation going through, which is a tourist tax. Well, yes. And this allows every local authority in Scotland to put money on tourism. Yeah. Now... <laughs> do we have confidence that the local authority will think it through and not ruin a source of income? I did actually watch a bit of the debate in this and the person speaking for it said, oh, well, this happens in Paris, in Berlin and, you know, Nice. Well, I mean, these are big tourist destinations. Yes. Try and do it in Pollock or we're know, trying Bannock to get Bun. people. We're trying to get people <laughs> to come for Paris. We're trying. <laughs> so I am worried yeah. that maybe this will not be well thought through. Maybe it'll backfire and it'll put tourists off, yeah. which would be a disaster. So all I'm saying to the legislators is get the people, the business people who know about tourism, who make their living off of tourism to sit with you and help with the policy. And Tom, I can tell you, at the meeting, the business meeting I was at in Edinburgh last week, there was over 100 businesses there, all different sectors, and they were going crazy about a tourist tax. Wow. Right? No, nobody but nobody thought it was a good idea. Okay, so there's been a bit of a blip this week, Willie, on the downward progression of inflation. Yes. What's your thoughts? Well, obviously a big surprise going back from 3.9% back up to 4 We all thought right away they're going to blame, you know, the, the barrage in the Red Sea. They didn't say that. They said it was the price of tobacco. Tobacco excise ah, duty. Yeah. So Airfares, yes. clothing. Yeah. I mean, it's only 0.1 of a percent. Yeah. Um, and it shows you how finely balanced the world yeah. economy is because, you know, shares tanked and every, oh there's not going to be a rate cut for longer and yeah. so everybody's just mm. nervy I feel yeah. Willie on that we had a wee bet last week about the cut and I, I would be surprised if we get a cut at all this year Oh, you're going to change your mind then? Well, no, no, sorry, you would be right then if it sits at four. I said 3.5. You did. After watching what everybody's got to say and listening to all the experts on Davos this week on Bloomberg, I think that um, especially when you see what's happening, house prices in London are felt by 2.1%. Yeah. Right? That's huge. Yeah. Huge. I can't remember the last time that happened. So you mentioned Davos. Have you ever been to Davos? I haven't. I mean, it's extortionate to go there. Yes. Founded by an entrepreneur called Klaus Schwab. So so he runs it for yes. profit, Willie. Yes. And it's very profitable. I did see an article that said you could rent a one-bedroom chalet for €2,400 for a week before Davos. The Davos week, it was 33 grand. Yes. 
So that's inflation. It's a bit like Super Bowl tickets. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the people who spoke at Davos, Willie, which um, again, I, tell tell the listeners what Davos is. So Davos is just this conference, and it brings the political and the finance big hitters yes. from round the world, yeah. and it's a networking event. Yeah. So your shadow chancellor Rachel Reeves has yeah. been there. Yeah. Preparing for government, perhaps, making the contacts, making yeah. the case for a Labour government in Westminster. Um, so that's what happens there. Yeah. Now, one of the political leaders is the new Argentinian president. And I, I hope I don't get this wrong the way I pronounce it, but President Milia. Milia. Right. Now, he got cheered this week because in his speech, he railed against taxes radical feminists and human-made climate change. Mm -hmm. Now, we talk about inflation. Argentinian inflation in 2023 was 211%. <laughs> and the prices went up 25% in December alone. So, and he wants to drop the Argentinian peso and go to the dollar, but he needs to do something for his country. Yeah. But he's another one of these libertarian leaders. Yeah. But he was getting cheered at Davos, wasn't he? Yes. Like Argentina has been for many, many decades. It's a basket case. Yeah. And let me tell you, at 231% inflation, that's good. At one time, it used to be 1,800. <laughs> you had to take a wheelbarrow down to buy a loaf. But yeah, and I noticed as well that one of the first things he started talking about was uh, the Malvinas. You know, not, not oh, the Falklands, right. the Malvinas. Right, I missed that bit. Yeah, so he, wants, he was on camera yesterday. Um, have you seen him, Tom? I have he seen looks, him. He looks like Bob Dylan for the 1960s. Now that's a bit of a dodgy barn. Yeah, and the sideburns, the sideburns. The yeah. lamb chops. Yes, yes. <laughs> but he's a character. Yeah. I want to try and keep it in business, but I did watch a, a thing on STV this, this week and it was Robert Moore, the journalist, um, and he was overlooking at the presidential election mm -hmm. with Trump versus Biden because Trump won the Iowa caucus yeah. this week. So Trump could be the first US president to reign from jail, yes. which is, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. But is that the best America can do, Willie? All they can put up is Donald Trump or 80-year-old Joe Biden. Yeah. They must do better, Willie. Well, you think with a population circa 300 million, you wouldn't have to have like three families dominate the political landscape for 50 years. No, you've got Clinton, Clinton, Bush, Bush, Kennedy, Kennedy. You know, there's, there's nobody else in America, you know, and then and throw in Trump. I, the only thing is, I wouldn't read too much into what happened in Iowa. That no. was always going to happen in Iowa. Right. And they knew that. So I wouldn't, but, but it's scary. It's scary. So I think from a business point of view, Donald Trump getting back in, the geopolitical world would change yeah. and it would definitely affect mm. economies, Willie. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not clever enough to say how it would affect them, but yeah. it would be a change. Yeah. I loved it when he said... You know, first two things I've got any fix is Gaza and Russia and oh. Ukraine. Now, see, to be fair, he, he's obviously got an in in both of these. Obviously, Putin loves him. You know, the Israelis look upon him as a friend, obviously moving moving the embassy, you know, when yeah. they wanted that done. So with his son-in-law, there may be a chance that they could do something there. He's always said that he could uh, bring peace to the Middle East. But I, I just think that it's it's 
a scary prospect of Donald Trump being back president of the US again. So 24 is a big year for geopolitics, both in America and the UK, mm-hmm. elections in both. But anyway, we've been keeping an eye on the, now, how do you pronounce it? Houthis? The Houthis. Houthis yes. in, in Yemen. So it continues. Britain hasn't did the strikes, but America continues to strike. Yes. Um, what it means for our economy, as you explained last week, is that this is the cargo route from the east in China yeah. coming to the west. Yeah. And if they've got to go around the Horn of Africa, it adds about a million quid to, to every container ship. Yes. And Pep, Pepco, who own Poundland in the UK, they have warned now, they put out, they said that um, this could affect prices. So it might go, everything's a pound to everything's one pound twenty. Yeah and availability so they've actually put it in their trading statement yes so obviously the bigger thing there is the humanitarian issues but this Hutu militia my god did did you watch the helicopter land in the ship yeah I mean yeah it's funny they keep showing you that one film Uh right of when they done that and when they attacked and boarded the ship is that a true film yeah yes yes yeah that was one of the first ones that was a while ago that wasn't no during this uh, conflict but yeah it is something and and it is this is talking about business it will affect you know it will affect the the bottom line of the spend of the people here and, and across Europe yeah. yeah. So there we go. There's quite so, a lot to worry about. We're trying to keep it the business show, but in the geopolitics, yeah. which does affect the economies yeah. of the world and yeah. interest rates and availability of goods and inflation, there is an seems to me an awful lot going on. It's a yeah. busy time in geopolitics. It is. But getting back local, yeah. We had a guest on a few weeks ago, the chief exec of Clyde Gateway. You were really right. impressed with yes. what they were yeah, doing. What they do, right? It seemed to me great. We we can talk about politics and we can debate whether things were right and wrong. But when it comes to out and out incompetence, someone must be accountable. Like we mentioned already, who's accountable for the fiasco for the school? In Renfrewshire. In Renfrewshire. Right. So who's yeah. accountable? And who's accountable? Just, just, when... just to remind the listeners, that was a school which was built too small? Was, was <laughs> that school, right? The school was required to take 1,100 people. Right. Right. And it ended up taking, I think it was 400, right? It's, it's, it's called Dungavel Primary. Right. And it's, and it's a fiasco. So they designed a school, knowing that they needed a school for 1100 and it holds 400. It's going to cost the taxpayer 60 million. So there's a complete incompetence. But what about this? I think this tops it. When, when Shona Robinson announced the budget just before Christmas, yeah. Right. In it, the Clyde Gateway were going to be awarded 60 million for new Sounds developments. Good. Yep. Sounds good. To be told the next day, it was a typo, right? No. That you're no getting it. No, that right? can't be. No, that's the truth, Tom. That's what happened. That's no fake news. That's no fake news. That's what happened. That's what happened. And also, if you see another policy, you know, the, the funding of buses to get people back into using public transport, uh-huh. right? The new ULES system in Glasgow has meant that the amount of people using public transport has dropped by 25%. Oh, my. 25%. And the policy for funding of buses, which the government said they would commit $500 million to, it's called the Bus Partnership Fund, right? Up until now, they've only funded $26.9 million. So these are the things that drive people crazy. 
And the good thing now is, but with social media and with news coverage now, people are getting to know more and more about this incompetence. And just as we said last week, it was the power of the people that has brought the post office scandal to the fore. And I'm telling everyone that you cannot sit back and letting from any party when it's complete incompetence. Yep. Let's get the incompetence out. Incompetence out. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Alistair McCauley, co-founder of Timorous Beasties, a surreal and provocative design studio creating a diverse range of own products, collaborations and unique design projects internationally. Now that is a great name. I don't think we've ever met, but I've been a long-term admirer and we're also a customer. Yes. You did a great job with through Jim Hamilton, great friend of ours, great designer. Great designer. Uh, down at Blair Castle, where yep. we have all the scale-up programs. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I believe. Aye, and you've done a couple of things for us, for my wife, which we can't talk about, because it's, well, my God, she blows the budget. <laughs> but it's great to have you on the show today, because just as that is an interesting tale. So tell us a wee bit about the early years, what influenced you, and then bring it up to date, Alistair. Sure, okay, well... Paul and I, my, my partner, we, we we met at art school. Right. Right, and we decided at that point... Was that Glasgow School Glasgow of Art? Glasgow School of Art, yeah. Right, so born and bred, Glasgow School of Art. And um, we decided at that point, we did enough encouragement from folk at that time. Now, we were doing kind of high colour, big detail, and, you know, work that was really labour intensive in a, a market that was arguably minimalist. Right. right. Where everything was all beiges and greys and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So, so there's um, a timeline for this. Album. 1990, this was. Right. right. So, 88, we decided we'd sort it out. Paul went down to the Royal College, did a couple of years. I did another year at Glasgow, worked out how to set my business up. Um, right. over was there much year. support in those days? Well, I had great support from Evelyn McDonald, who's now Evelyn. Evelyn, wow. who you know. The chief executive of Scottish Edge. Well, we worked in the same hamburger place. Really? In, uh, way back in the day. <laughs> and then she worked with Prince's Trust. And well, that's where I met Evelyn. So she said, "Oh, I could. I'm saying that we'd like to get a studio because we couldn't, we couldn't get involved with the market, right? Because at the time, if you wanted to get any into production, you had to go to the big print factories, right? Right, and you'd have to get hundreds, maybe even thousands of meters done. So it was going to cost us, even at the time, ten, twelve grand to get a fabric. And that was just no, just to get one thing, right? So it was like, so we managed to raise about ten, twelve grand through Princess Trust, through Evelyn's help, getting us a uh, business plan, brilliant, together for that. So." We'd realised that people quite liked our work, or really liked it, not enough to buy it at that time, right? <laughs> so we were doing all these things, and great accolades, of course, and, oh, your stuff's great. But we had the encouragement that people were about to buy it, so that, that kind of kept us going. So right. you know, we were enthusiastic, we were massively optimistic, a little bit bewildered as well, because at art school they don't teach you any business, there is nothing. No. Um, I remember one of the first, because um, I had started the studio up, got all the money together, built a print table, Started working with no venture capital. Paul joined six months later. Says, "How'd you write an invoice?" You know, and it kind of went. <laughs> so it's basic stuff. Basic, basic stuff, right? But what we did have was was enthusiasm and, like I said, optimism. Whether that was how how founded that was, who knows? And you know how arrogant that was. I mean, you that's leave just, art school. You're still in business today, Alistair. We're still so. in business today. Yep. Um, but you know, when you leave art school, you know, you're ready to take on the world. You know, and you you give no jots about the surrounding world out there and you think you're going to go out there and you're going to sort. So it was a very steep learning curve from that point. You know, so, and then So you learned by doing? We learned by doing. Ah. Getting getting in amongst it, being determined, um, finding out 
you know, and having people, you know, I suppose like, you know, like Evelyn, and there was loads of people back then. So there was people helping you. Yeah. And and how did you find a partnership? Because we don't, we don't talk too much about it on the show, but there is statistics that will tell you two founders are better than one. Mm-hmm. Did, did did you think that or did you fight? Or, I mean, you're, just, you're still partners today? We're still partners so, today. So, uh-huh. so it's what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, well, it doesn't always work. No, we, you, you need... In simple terms, you need two people. To, back then, you need two people to print. One right. at one side table, one oh, at the other side. Right. Um, so that's pretty basic, Willie. It's pretty basic, yeah. I mean, it's a hand bench, so it was you know it's an art form. And we still got we still got the same print tables. We still got them. It only does about barely five percent of what we do, but it's still there. But this was going to be a means to an end for us. Mm-hmm. So Paul and I, but we've got the same aims. We've got the same loves. We still fight. We still have the same arguments. In fact, you know, thirty odd <laughs> years on. Um, but it is 34 years, and we were pals before that. Right. As well. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, many folk will say, go oh, get into business with your pal, uh-huh. you know, and and, and the girl, um, Kate, who runs our London store, uh-huh. she she was at school with Paul right. as well. So then a few years later, when we needed someone to take over our, our London showroom, we asked her for advice. She'd be living and working down there, working with um, carpet companies. And she says, well, I'll do it. You know, and I got a warning from her stepmother saying, are you sure, you know, friends and all that. So she's been with us about 12 years now. Wow. Yeah. Um, so so you would say partnerships, yeah. Partnerships are good if you understand, I suppose, who you are and what you're there for. You know, both Paul and I um, start, were designers. We, in fact, uh, you know, we all started off doing the same thing. We all wanted to do the same thing. Right. But business, as you know, or, or in a cre- any creative industry, it's not just about being creative in the the kind of design sense of things. You know, you have to run a business. So we kind of felt our strengths, as it were, or acknowledged our weaknesses as well. So Paul takes more to do with the design work, although, you know, I work on some design work from time to time, more bespoke stuff. Right. Um, Paul's great at just getting into the studio, getting into the whole vibe of it, and and drawing all day. Um, Because it's actually really difficult. People think, oh, you're drawing, you're designing. There's nothing much involved in that. You know, it's because it looks, you're drawing, that must be enjoyable. Uh-huh. You know, and it's it's one of the hardest things I've ever come across. You yeah. know, you can sit and toil looking at the simple, you know, the, the way like a leaf falls, take one of our design, the way a leaf falls, and you're sitting there for three, four, six hours, you know. <laughs> going, does it, do you think that we tweet? You think nobody's going to notice that, <laughs> you know? So someone said to me, if it's not difficult, you're not doing it right. Everybody be doing yes. it. I know. Yeah, it'd be um, simple. And do you have hundreds of clients or do you have one big client or a few big clients, Alistair? We, we're a niche company. Right. Right. So we've got, we can always do with more. Yeah. But we've got enough. You know, we have good clients. We've got people who, you know, like yourself, buying stuff personally for yep. themselves, a couple of custom things, some standard things. We do works for hotels as well, you know, sort of much bigger projects. Right. Um, we work with interior designers, architects. We did, don't know if you carry cash, but we did the illustrations on the Royal Bank of Scotland notes as well. So we don't, we've got quite a variety of things. I carry cash all the time, so I'm do always you? carrying your designs. Change isn't included. We don't absolutely, do change. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But we, we do have right. It's a Paul just finished a, a load of work for Kate Bush um, yeah. for her new album releases. Yeah. For so surely that must be a major coup to be on a bank note. It's, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, when you're in Morrison's getting your messages and yeah. somebody in front of you is handing over a 20 yeah. that you've drawn. So, so Alistair, for our, for our listeners this morning, how did you, so you start and you're enthusiastic and you're talented. How do you get your customers? How did you get your first customer? Well, back then, 
it was a case of grabbing your portfolios um, full of stuff, all your samples, and going around and visiting folk, whether that was Glasgow, London, so you just got on New York, um, everywhere. You know, you would go to do trade shows. Right. You know, you would you would manage to get yourself just in front of people. You know, you would have to find it through a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. They know somebody who works in this company. You can go and there's an in for you. I remember going to New York in 91 and standing at a call box with your portfolio phoning folk, wow. you know, to just to get in. In fact, we got one of our biggest single orders, which was someone that I met in 92. And it wasn't until 12 years later 12. that they placed an order for, I think it was about 700 rolls of paper. Wow. And 600 metres annually. Came through in a fax machine, shows you how fax old it was, machine. right? Wow, I love the fax And um, it was for a converted building on Wall Street. On Wall Street. Wow. So we turned it into a residential, so they'd ordered this. So we sold so there's this. a long gestation period in your well, business. Well, clearly there can be, yeah. <laughs> you know? The tail is over years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but, so, I mean, nothing, but pro- nothing beats Alistair getting out and get in front of your customers. Get in front saying, of people. Yeah. I'm a big fan of using voices. And are you yeah. still doing that today? Yeah. You're still yeah. doing it today? I, well, I mean, what the mouth's very strong for you because you're, you're well known in yeah, that. Yeah, but you're never as well known world. as you'd like to think or, yeah. or you do think well, as well. I, everybody I know speaks very highly of Timorous Beasties and, and when they come into Blair, they'll go, is that what I think it is? And I'll say, I don't know yeah. what I think it is. <laughs> tell, tell, us sto- the point, tell us the story about the name. Oh, well, when we start, again, this goes back to, you know, just coming out of art school as well. And um, at the time, we were both doing things that had kind of insects and wee beasties and things in it, right? Right. So we we didn't want to, we didn't know what we were going to do. We knew we were going to be along the lines of fabrics and wallpapers. Right. But we didn't want to say, you know, Simmons and Macaulay, fabrics and wallpapers. We didn't want to say anything that gave anybody a clue to what we did. And we had nipped into (laughs) Voltaire and Rousseau. And I bought a wee stack of these Burns magazines. Now, it's not a hidden magazine, it's not an obscure reference, you know, but it's to a mouse, of course. Uh-huh. Yes. And it's Weasley account to Miss Beastie. Yes. So, because there was two of us, stuck an S on the end. Yeah. Right? Now, the word. The word so, who came up with it? You or Paul? Well, Robert Burns. I decided they would call it Timorous Beasties. Right. Okay. Right. And. Um, I was like, yep, totally. We'd, yeah. we'd listed some sh- rubbish names. <laughs> right. I have to say, when I read that name, I thought you were a pest control company. <laughs> Many folk do. Many folk do. And we sometimes get through a lot of meetings yeah. saying that, you know, and then we can do your wallpaper. Brilliant. But um, yes, well, that's, like, you need to get some of this stuff. Aye. This is amazing. Aye. Oh, it's, it's but that's brilliant. why we did it. So we didn't yes. know what we we're going to do or what we we're going to end up doing. Yeah. So that just, it kind of alluded to being Scottish. I mean, Paul's English and I'm half Scottish. Right, right, but we both lived here all our days, and um, and it looks great. See when the words written out in caps, oh, it looks it's great. great. Sounds great, looks great. Not very pronounceable to a lot of folk, yeah, but memorable, yeah. And you know the, it's the a word talking point, aye, and the word itself. You know, you've got timorous and you've got beasties. There's a kind of you know it's opposites to it as well, yeah, which is quite nice. It's kind of like what you know what we do. In one hand, we're well, one thing, and then the other side, it's kind of something else. You know, it's yeah. it's kind of normal, but it's. It's, it's different yeah. at the same right. time. So you're out in the road. Were you the salesman? We both were. Both, both we, us. We out, both would go out and, out and do stuff. So you have to be able to sell, and then it builds up. Was it slow build? Oh, s- unbelievably slow. Slow. Yeah. So your optimism had to keep you going. You had to keep going, but you know, you were. Things were always good in the horizon, right? <laughs> always good enough. This time next year, Rodders, we're going we're to be going millionaires. To be, yeah, 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 we're going to learn to drive. Um, 
No, it was it was it was exciting. Of course it was. You know, and the fact that you knew these but when these fabulous jobs came in, you'd racked up so much debt that, you know, it never made a difference. And it took until <laughs> love it. You know, it took till about two thousand and four wow. when we opened our first shop, Great Bristol Road. Now before that we were starting to you know, things were getting better. You know, right. I mean we felt like we had a that's, that's quite a long time. It's a long time, right? But when you can't do anything else, you gotta stick with the thing that you know. <laughs> yeah. So we opened the shop. What a difference that made because... Where is the shop? Um, there's one on Great Western Road, 384 Great Western Road. We've got one down in London. Uh-huh. Whereabouts are you in London? It's in Almwell Street, but we're moving. Uh-huh. We're identified a place just it's only about 10 minutes down the road. When we got it, when we got the London shop in 2007, it was great for us. We could afford it. Right. Just. Yeah. Right? And it gave us an address in London. Not that anybody came to it at first. <laughs> um, but the fact that we had... A presence there. Right. You know, because it's, it's much easier to go from Scotland down to England than it is to go from England up to yes. Scotland. Yeah, you know, yes. We couldn't get people that. to come up and see us. And, yeah. So as soon as we're down there, we had a phone number and we had an address. And it just made business better. Yeah. Right. Um, and we're now in the process of opening a place in Edinburgh on Dundas Street. So yes. that won't be open till spring. We've only just yeah. started on that. But doing that, making ourselves... Um, Approachable, I suppose, as well, because people would come up to the studio, and the studio is a really intimidating place. Right? You know, you come into a workshop, and it's you know the print tables are going, and we had some fabric set up, and people would just go, well, just you know, they weren't comfortable with it, it didn't work. So opening the shop, the customer became king, and we started retailing. Right. And because people liked our stuff, but they were still slightly edgy on on buying. The stuff doesn't fly out the door. Yeah. You don't get me wrong, but it's good and it's steady and it's solid. Right. And we're selling stuff that's niche. We're selling stuff that's unusual. Or probably like Paul and I's ideas when we first started, the market was dreadful. You, it's a wonder we actually went into textiles, right? Because when you looked <laughs> at the stuff that was being manufactured, you think if this is what we're going to be involved with, we yeah. don't want to do it. That's why we started doing things that were different. Right. And that's kind of what identifies our customer: is the people who wouldn't ordinarily go and buy fabrics and wallpapers from all the normal yeah. routes. Yeah. You know, they, they would come to us for something a bit different. And when it was lean, when things were really lean, and you would try to do things that you could see were selling in the market, it was a disaster. Right. You know, you, because you know, people are really, you know, people are much smarter than that. And they don't come to us because they can get our stuff elsewhere. They come to us because they can't get it elsewhere. Yeah. And so we, re, we very quickly realised not to try and be inspired by the market. But so you've just, always been design-led then? Absolutely design-led, yeah. Because yeah. So you're anticipating what the customer... Not even anticipating. Um, a lot of it's luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, anybody who can... I mean, who can anticipate these days? Look at the state of us in the last few years. <laughs> um, but, you know, the timing is a lot of things. Uh -huh. you know, we've, we've got designs that we bring out. We've got designs that we did right at the beginning that still sell really well. Still sell? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, we've got designs that we, we probably did way back yeah. and then brought them out years later. See, on that, can I ask you, can you get IP on design for fabric? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So you've got it all painted. We've got it all, you know, not that that makes much of a difference. difference. Yeah. Somebody um, just had to tweak it at least we People back. still Steel. give it a go. Yeah. 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 But some most of the time, People don't realise that they're doing it yes. because they think, "Oh, it's just a you know, I bought the wallpaper from a restaurant, so I can use that on my menus." Yeah. No, you can't. <laughs> you know, so it's normally quite quickly resolved. 
But with the internet and all that, you just constantly people are sending you photographs going, didn't know you did shirts. Because somebody's grabbed one of your designs, oh, printed right. it up, okay, made right. some dreadful shirts out so, of it. So tell us about one of the things you designed that the customer really loved that you're really proud of. What would be something you would say that was the one, you know? That's a really difficult thing. Okay. Actually, because over 34 years, there's there's moments, there's highlights, you know, throughout all of this. Uh-huh. Um, that some things you've designed, you know, for a customer, like um, we did uh, McGeegan Rose, which was only started off as six rolls of wallpaper for Nicholas McGeegan, who at the time, he was a, a conductor for orchestras. Conductor, uh-huh. right, okay. Yeah. And this was his European home in Glasgow. And... Um, Printed seven rolls, all hand designed, hand printed, printed seven rolls of it. Right. He came back from being somewhere, turned all the radiators on his house, the wallpaper all fell off the walls. <laughs> he had to get it redone. <laughs> but we asked him if we could, because it was quite a nice pattern, you know, uh-huh. you know, can we use that? And he was like, yeah, absolutely, crack on. So we just called it McGeegan Rose. Oh, uh, right, okay. You know, so, so that went well. It's not our proudest moment, but it's just one of our earliest ones where we were using customers, it was the English pheasant. Uh, that was also produced as a custom for Helen English, who was an IP lawyer down in London. Right. So the pattern became English pheasant, yeah. not because it was an English pheasant, but just because her the client's name was English pheasant, McGeegan Rose and all that. So right. it's nice having okay. these little, these <laughs> yeah. little hooks. But there's tons of stuff that you're proud of, and for very different reasons, as well. You know, there's some things that you think are a total scoop. <laughs> um, you know, we did a building down in Bristol where we engraved the outside of it. We were tasked with doing the, the the design for it, right? We were asked, we were in a competition, we won the competition, but you have to find out someone who can do it. So we found, we were all over the country, down uh, down in England and up, uh, up in Aberdeen looking for stonemasons to do this. I found a guy in Hillington. He was five minutes away from me, <laughs> right? Who also made gravestones. Gravestones? Right? Gravestones, yeah. right? McIntyre Memorials. <laughs> and what a job they did for this thing. Yeah. You that know, was just in Bristol. Down in Bristol, yeah. So it's the plinth of a building in the, the kind of shopping area. And we engraved this. It was a design that was only maybe about A4 size. Yeah. We blew it up to encompass this whole building. Wow. And uh, fellas did a great job, you know. And it's like these guys yeah. ordinarily would just be making, yeah. you know, ch- chipping out your, your name and your date of birth and, you know, maybe hands yeah. clasped and a crucifix or whatever. Um, <laughs> so they were a bit bored, See, I think. You've obviously still got a passion for it, Alistair, after 34 years. The limerence period is over, of course. <laughs> um, you know, like, oh, designed to fail. Yes. Um, but yeah, of course, we, we wouldn't do it if we didn't have a passion for it. And is yeah. it, what's been the biggest business lessons you've learned? Obviously, you're design at heart, design-led, but having coming from that background, having to learn business, mm-hmm. I think it wasn't easy. No, not at all. Not at all. And um, sometimes we do little talks to um, students and things. Uh-huh. And it's all from creative industries. And generally, one of the first things I say to them is get a bookkeeper. <laughs> um, a bookkeeper. You know, and just know where you are. Yeah. Any, cash any, flow. Cash flow. Knowing, knowing when you're in the... In you the know, doodah. In the doodah. Yeah. Right? And knowing you're about to go in the... the Dude, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We've all been there. It's probably a good thing. Yeah. Not knowing. It's yeah. a scary bit. Finding out later Finding is not out, a good yeah. thing. Finding out by a surprise is not quite the, the And thing. do you have any offices abroad today? We've got a place in Berlin. Yeah? Yeah, that we opened so up. So why Berlin? <sighs> Honest answer, really sounded like the way it sounded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, for all the listeners this morning, that's not a business-based Only decision. Only someone no. from the creative arts could give that reply. <laughs> <But> Only... <laughs> 
But Glasgow, London, Berlin sounds great. You know? um, right. But a lot of our friends from art school uh, went to Berlin. Yeah. Right. And they, and they worked there and they were very successful. Yeah. There. And yeah. it was a great place. Like Glasgow was back in the you know, yeah. late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Not much money, but a great place to work. Right? We, we, we wouldn't have been able to do this, what we needed anywhere else, I think, apart from Glasgow. Yeah. Because we needed a big space, uh, an affordable price. We needed support of locals as well. You know, uh -huh. we, I mean, that was great for us. Scotland's yeah. been a great supporter um, right. of what we do. Um, so anyway, we talked about, you know, with Brexit looming and, and, and stuff, we thought we should maybe look at Europe. friend of ours, Douglas Gordon, who we were at art school with, owns this big building in a Hof. And he'd seen an article um, that we'd had in the Herald, right, just saying, we're kind of looking for a place in Europe. We're looking maybe at Berlin. He phoned us up, says, I've got a gallery space downstairs. Fellas have just moved out. A fellow Scotsman, was he? Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. boy from Dumbarton. Right, uh, okay. And, but he, you know, he's, you know, top of his game in, uh, yeah. in the art world and, yeah, owns this yeah. fabulous big place in Kafirsenstrasse. It's interesting, when we have guests on, we always look for the wee nuggets that changed everything. So, <laughs> after hearing all that expertise... If you don't work in a hamburger stall with Evelyn, you don't get a business plan. <laughs> you don't get a business plan. And if a boy doesn't read your article in the Herald, you're not in Berlin. You don't get a place in Berlin. <laughs> Unless, and in fact, the way we got the showroom in London was two girls that went to college with Paul. Right. Um, had taken a place across the road. Yeah. Right, in Amwell Street. Uh -huh. and, so um, where is that, Amwell Street? Amwell Street is kind of on the border of Islington and Clerkenwell. It's just, right. um, just down from Angel. Right, and, yeah. and um, run from Sadler's Wells. It's it's kind of a wee bit of no man's land kind right. of thing, but it's, it's a lovely wee kind of village yeah. in part in yes. London. And um, they'd phoned us up to say, space across the road if you want it. By the time we'd made our minds up, because we'd gone to Milan that, that week, by the time we'd made our mind up, came back, somebody had taken it. Yeah. Six months later, we got a phone call because one of the one of the lassies was in the hairdresser, overheard them chatting, saying, Oh, that apparently fell through. So we were on the phone to the <laughs> The estate agents. Agent. And oh, that was on the Friday. We met them on the Monday and um, yeah. we had the, the, we'd said yes by the Wednesday. Yeah. So, so, so Alistair, as, as we finish up, it's been fascinating. I really in, enjoyed listening to you. Give your business a wee plug. If if somebody's out there looking for, especially Willie's wife. Yeah. So Looking for Willie's wife? No, yeah. no. Willie's wife will be looking for what you sell. I can tell. <laughs> so how do they get in touch? Well, you can tell your wife, Willie. Yeah. Right. To go to your website first. Okay. Right? Which is? Timmersbeasties.com. Okay. There you go. Or she can come along to our showroom. Yeah. Um, which is 3 or 4 Great Western Road. Or if you want, we've got back at our studio in Annie's Land, um, we've got one of the we took over one of the sheds a few years ago Right, kept the name The Shed and it's now it's a trade showroom so it's by yeah. appointment only but we've got all these kind of room sets all set up and right. you know so we use it trade prices Willie so Alistair it's been a pleasure having you on what a yeah, story thank you very much and uh, maybe we'll get you on in a couple of couple of years and you can tell us that you've now opened in Milan and opened in Paris and yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. a fantastic story I'm going Step to try and keep my wife away from Great Western Road right. <laughs> Alistair it's a pleasure to meet you after all these years keep doing what you're doing you're a force of nature so well done thank, thank you Kenny. thanks well very much thank you the board you can't afford this is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey our guest this week in the board you can't afford is Lisa Gallica, Director of Flexibility Works 
Good morning. Good morning. Morning, Lisa. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Now, you, you came in and said you loved listening to Alistair there from Timorous Beasties. I did. So I, did. I love that enthusiasm. So tell us a wee bit about your business. Okay. So we are Scotland's experts on flexible working. All right. We provide training, consultancy, insights, and a community really for employers who want to create really good flexible working practices in their business. Right. Which we would say is a good thing for their people. And it's a really good thing for their business, but also, I think, too, for wider society. Because flexible working, for it's a really powerful tool, tool or can be to get people into work and to keep people in work. So so how did you start this then? Well, it was myself and Nikki Slowey four years ago that set up this organisation together. But we'd been working together previously on this sort of topic, this agenda. So you, this was before COVID? You must have this knew was COVID was coming. COVID. Ah. Well, COVID's been a great shake-up for Aye. flexible working, of course. It's uh-huh. really help, helped us to get that message across. But Nikki and I have worked in this area for about 10 years now. Um, but we set up the company four years ago. And it's really about supporting employers quite practically with information, examples and practical support about right. how to make the best of the flexible working that they can offer. Okay. So let me let me give you a wee insight into my experience about flexible working. For the past 10 years, I've always had this inkling to look at if it was possible to get everybody to work four days rather than five. Yeah. Right? I've always had this thing, if we could give, give people more time off with our family on a Friday, we're going to take all those people off the road on a Friday and it knows a longer weekend, what that does to the local GDP, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I was a kind of champion of flexible working. Yeah. Right. Okay? I'd have to say that since COVID, mm-hmm. uh, which has affected everyone, so I've got a head office that's probably got maybe six, 700 people in it before COVID, that now on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's busy and a Monday or Friday, it's deserted. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would think that the two things that I see, the downside to that now is, one, I think part of the magic sauce in my business 100% is the culture. Mm-hmm. Well, you won't get the culture working from the house. And secondly, that I don't think you'll get promoted if you're working for the house. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see how good you are. So I would love someone to sh- say that here's a balance, here's how you can make this work. But here's the, a client for yes, you. Yes, but no, but here's, the sad, here's, a, here's the, sad, the sad thing about it is, is that what I see at the moment is, Lisa, the people are deciding what they want to do. Right, yeah. Right. And it's all over the place. Yeah, so I think that's some great comments there. I think in terms of the four-day working week, I think that's really exciting. It started to pick up a bit of conversation, the benefits that can bring to people when you're feeling a bit more rested, your well-being's good, you feel fitter and healthier, you can bring your best self to work. So I think that's one form of flexible working, Willie, that you've looked on that a lot of companies are starting to think about. Is this something that's possible in our business that can make our people be well, fit, healthy, engaged and bring more to my business? But remember that flexible working is more than just the four-day week. It's more than working from home. It's thinking about where you work, when you work and how much you work. So lots of it could be small adjustments to your start and finish time. Some people for them, flexible working is 10 minutes. It's been able to leave at 10 to 5 to get a certain train home, to get home and read your child a bedtime story. So I think you're right. When you're thinking about flexible working in your four-day week, you're thinking about your staff's well-being. Mm -hmm. And that's what we really want to encourage. You know, people have got all sorts of stuff going on in their lives. 
whether that's looking after children or an elderly parent or a health condition, sure. or you might be getting a bit older and you're wanting to reduce your hours, pre-retirement, whatever it might be, it's finding that balance that works for the individual. But as you say, Willie, it has to work for the business as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the businesses that we work with, it's going to look and feel very different. So at the moment in Scotland, you're talking about hybrid working, people in the office, not in the office. 40% of Scottish workers are in the office full-time still, which I think might surprise your listeners. I 40%, think 40% are right. in full-time, which I think might surprise people because we imagine maybe that people are in less than what we imagine. Well, I think a big part of that, to be fair, Lisa, there is actually jobs where you can't work from home. Yes. I would think 28% of that 40% is people who couldn't work from home. That's right. And right. I think that's a really important point to make. And we would say that there's some form of flexibility that could be brought into most jobs. So an interesting area for us is helping people on low incomes mm -hmm. to have a bit of flexibility that they want and people in frontline roles. So we've been working with manufacturing companies, engineering companies, care workers, looking at ways that we can enhance their workers' work-life balance, the same as day space workers have. Yeah. So what's your question to the board you can't afford? Thank you. So... <laughs> given, and I've got it written down so that I don't forget down, it, yes. So given that 84% of workers in Scotland right now have or want flexible working, what do you think is the biggest problem that we as an organisation can help employers solve in relation to flexible working? Well, Willie, you go first. You've, you've got the most people. I would say that what I would like is it'd be great to, I'm going to call it an ombudsman, but someone who is looking at both sides, yes. who can convince both the staff and the company that this works. At the moment, to me, it looks like it's all been shaped the way that the people, how they want to work flexible working. So for me, if you had that, someone in the centre, I have conversations with my HR department, right? And sometimes I think it's the union for the staff. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I think, like, for instance, so half our staff work from home now, more than half our staff work from home. So we just decided to take all the furniture out of the office as if someone had made a decision like they're never coming back. Right. So these are the things that I think there has to be up to answer your question a wee bit more science and facts and that to get to, case to yes, and really working and, yeah, with the and get into the, yeah. That's, That's really helpful. So Thank can you. I turn the question back on yourself? Mm -hmm. So you've got Willie there. Mm -hmm. So he's biggest private sector employer with Arnold Clark in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And and he's he's kind of struggling with this. So yeah. how can your company help Willie? So I think that's a great question. And we do some work with Arnold Clark too, which I think right. is great. And they've got some great ideas around supporting their frontline staff around flexibility. Yeah. But I would want to come in and understand your company. I would want to understand what you're really looking for in terms of who your staff are, the culture and the connection that you want to have within your organisation and the outcomes you want them to have. I would then listen to the staff teams and I would bring those two things together and create a bit of a, a plan as to how we can achieve your business aims and also what the people might be looking for so that you can retain mm. those really good staff and also recruit the staff you need into your business. Okay. Maybe we should have a wee pilot. Mm -hmm. Love to oh, do that. my yeah. goodness, love Lisa. To yeah. do that. Business yeah. getting done and go radio yeah. this morning. I love this. I love it. We might have a show in six months with me and Lisa on here arguing. Let's do a feedback <laughs> session. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> this is great. Feed, feedback on Willie would be <laughs> great. And yes. Can I see it first? Just, yes. so get... <laughs> just to review. Okay. So I think, I think that's exactly it, isn't it? This has been kind of foisted upon businesses. 
we've got to see it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't all be what no. the staff want. We've got to find this blend where, right, here's the business needs, here's our workforce needs, and if we can find a way that that's suits it. both, I think that's your job, isn't that's it? That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. I am going to be fascinated with how you get on with Willie. Just give me a phone and let me know how it goes. <laughs> Best of luck, Lisa. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode. Go.